Thank you so much for staying with us. It is that time when we look at uh, our feature, Her Story. And this afternoon, we're going to be looking at the life of Nadine Gordima. I'm joined by Brooke Spector, Associate, Associate, Associate Editor at the Daily Maverick. Good afternoon, Brooks. Oh, good afternoon. Good to be with you. <laughs> good afternoon. Listen, Brooks, it's interesting that it really wasn't that long ago. And uh, I'm kind of sad by the fact that you know, the celebration of Nadin Gordima has kind of dwindled. We, we we seem to forget, but I think it is indicative of what happens very soon after the death of someone like Nadine in literature and so on. There is this lull before there is, again, a resurgence. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I would, I would even make it more general. Uh, when was the last time you had a conversation about Eskia or Peter Abrams? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it, there seems to be a tendency in, it, in this country, and maybe others for that matter, to take great names in, in literature and begin to sort of sublimate your attention to them until something jogs the, mem- the collective mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. and forces people to remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, this person, person X, Gordimer, Impatlele, Abrams, they were great writers, and we need to remember them. And then the, and then uh, the industry of the academic world begins to kick in, and people start writing PhDs about the language or the poetics or the the politics or the sociolinguistics of of those writers. And it it it, it seems a shame. I mean, I even add one more thing. How many libraries do you know in South Africa that have been named after mm. many of the country's great writers uh, dating back? I, maybe there's an Olive Schreiner library. I've never seen one, mm. but uh, I, th- there's a certain lack of that uh, sort of universally. So, so one of the problems, and I, I, I want us to just maybe banter about this because I don't know what you think about it. One of the issues here is that, number one, uh, many of her works are out of print. You know, they're just not published and so on. So you've got, I think at the moment, only two two of her latest uh, works were now in print, that kind of thing. And, and the argument is, if we look at the latest works, the two latest works that are available, it's not something that's going to encourage anybody to read her further because there was so much depth that we are missing out on, on her previous works. And so in itself, just denying ourselves to reprint these works is part of the problem. No, I think that, that very clearly is, is, is an important issue. A couple of months ago, I wrote a column uh, which argued for a national project to take the works of the great writers the country has produced and begin to produce uniform, uh, well-produced uh, editions of, the, of those works so that uh, students who wanted to hold a physical book and have them available electronically, obviously, and, and on a, a DVD or a, a downloadable, to be able to access all the, all the material uh, from these writers and to gradually add to it as 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 an important writer passes you know beyond beyond our time uh and begin to add that writer as well i mean there's a there are projects like that in italy and in france and in the united states to do just that kind of thing and it, it it's it's important when you say there are only two or three works uh by her that are currently in print that that frightens me a little bit because if i look at my bookshelf there must be about 15 yeah. of them 
Yeah. In fact, what what I what I think is so interesting is the fights that I'm told happen in lecture rooms, you know, across the country, where the lectures obviously there there's division and there's contestation around her legacy and so on. But that contestation is limited to only the the two that are in print. So everything else, youngsters are taught about her without having access to her work. I mean, it, it really is a shame because I mean, one of the things uh, that has always fascinated me and uh, attracted me to her work, some of it's pretty dark, mm. uh, and some of it uh, deals with the, the, you know, the great social and political and economic issues that, that beset uh, the country uh, throughout her life and even, even now, uh, was that every character in a book, a short story, somehow felt like it was part of the same universe of characters. They, like they were all part of the same town. Mm-hmm. And although they may not have interacted in, in the text, mm-hmm. uh, you felt like you knew them all, and that they, you know, the next one was living around the corner from the first one, and so <laughs> forth. And that as you, as you followed her writing from the beginning of her career, uh, which, you know, her first published material was in the 1940s, yeah. for goodness sake, uh, in, in the, the magazine in the United States, uh, New Yorker, which, of all things, because it's, it's one of those quality publications that people spend their lives trying to break into. Uh, and she, she got there when she, when she was in her early 20s, uh, and then her first books began to appear. But each of them, to me, the characters all felt like they were they were part of a universe in the way that all of Dickinson's characters uh, feel like they all come from the same part of Victorian England, mm-hmm. or uh, Balzac's characters uh, in his human comedy, all seventeen or eighteen volumes of it. They all, you know, they're all part of the same the same mob. Yes. And uh, if you read them, not maybe not all. If you read a big chunk of the work mm-hmm. in sequence. Mm-hmm. Then you get to f- you, you get to see this evolution of a larger and larger community that begins to take on more and more people, so that in an early book, um, what is it, uh, the, 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 the Lying Days, I think, uh, where a uh, reasonably well-off young white woman, in this case, married, yes, uh, the falls one that... in love with a uh, black painter, yeah. an artist. Yeah. Uh, now, at the time that was written. In the avant-garde world of Johannesburg, of Soweto, of I'm sorry, of Sophia Town, and, and such, it was just barely possible mm-hmm. that such a thing would happen. It, uh, but she chronicled this love affair in a novel mm-hmm. way back when it would have been. Uh, the subject of some some controversy, shall we say? Mm. I uh, mean, look, it it wasn't just a subject of controversy. That was a massive book in the sense that, for you know, she creates this this environment where the, what is natural to human beings, you know, universal love, and is torn apart by obviously the system. And I think that was her way of saying, look closely to how ridiculous this whole thing is. You know. Oh. There's no question, but that there was, you know, that there was both an explicit and an implicit criticism mm-hmm. woven through the book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the subject of love, you're 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 absolutely right to point to it. Uh, is is in in one way or another in almost every single one of her books, mm-hmm. and in many of the short stories. Um, and I'm I'm looking at a list of uh, of the uh, the novels. It's more or less complete. 
But if even if you look at the last, say, that, that five five or so novels, uh, from uh, my son's story through to No Time Like the Present, mm-hmm. uh, it's each of them is dissecting yet another part of the evolving South African universe, mm-hmm. and in the middle of them, um, it's all about love and various ramifications and different manifestations and all those other big words we can use um, and even if you get to a to like her last novel no time like the present yeah. which is which centers on a bunch of mostly but not completely younger white professionals um, living in a place which sounds suspiciously like um, observatory <laughs> or maybe uh, Parkhurst or Parkview. <laughs> I mean, she, she, she was quite amazing in her brutal honesty. I mean, that's how I want to describe it because in, in, in moments where you think there, there's love and gentleness and all of that, then she would bring this stark, cruel, brutal honesty about what is that we're facing in, in some of the most graphic ways. I mean, some of the, the ways in which she depicts the cruelty of apartheid is very, very graphic. And I think she, she helped us all by telling us that she's not a liberal. She's a radical. If you look at a book like The Pickup, yeah. uh, which is, if anything, not a liberal novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. to describe to your listeners for just a second, another um, reasonably well-off uh, younger white woman uh, who falls in love and into a relationship with a displaced, uh, I believe he's Somalian or uh, maybe North African, I can't remember now, uh, Abu, Abdu, um, and they go back to, maybe he's Yemenese, I, I can't remember, uh, but they go back to his country where she has to begin to make her accommodations to the reality that is his part of the world. Mm. Um but you know it's funny uh, when you when you met or talked with her, you, you got the same feeling. She was looking at you and sizing yes. you up yes. and trying to figure out whether you were worth talking. Sitting upright, <laughs> yes. You know, like, okay, I've weighed you and you get 10 minutes. (laughs) Perspective, we'll continue this conversation. I really would like you to also take part in celebrating the life of Nadine Gordimer, 891 Maybe you've studied her. Maybe you met Nadine Gordimer. Just your anecdotal, uh, you know, memories of how she came across to you. And maybe you've studied her. Let's talk all about it. 891 104 Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. Her story today is on the life of Nadine Gordimer, a writer, really is somebody that South Africa should celebrate uh, a Nobel Peace Prize winner too. And uh, she really wrote prolific, uh, prolific, gosh, okay, prolific writer, Brooke Spectra. Thanks very much for staying with us. Uh, because she wrote so much, Brooks, I mean, not everything she wrote was, was magnificent. And I think that therein lies the issue of somebody that is relentless in writing. And she was very okay to experiment. She was really okay to make mistakes. And isn't that just the beauty of it all, that she was one of those people, I don't think she cared what we thought. Well, I mean, she told me once that uh, the way you deal with writing as a writer is you get up every morning, you put put a piece of paper in the typewriter, roll it up, and start typing. So she she wrote hours and hours every day, 
unless she was, I guess, in the hospital. Maybe there she made notes with pen. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, she was absolutely assiduous and diligent in cranking out, a, uh, working on a story, working on a novel. But let's not forget the criticism yeah. and, and, uh, and that kind of work as well. There, there are two things I, can, I want to point to. Uh, one is a, a short book of literary criticism called The Black Interpreters. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. I am, yes. Uh, which was, in many ways, the first really thorough, thoughtful, mm. let's treat them with the respect they deserve mm. analysis of what was becoming the group known as the Soweto Poets in the Mm mid-1970s. People like uh, Mongani Wali Sorote and uh, Oswald Michali and and so forth. Uh, And it was was sufficiently controversial that the government uh, took the the copies from the publisher and and blacked out chunks of Mm -hmm. text that was quoted from poets who were then under banning orders. Mm Mm. I mean, there there is a lot that obviously, as you said, you know, provoked some sort of emotion, and and sometimes you also left us to, to to our own imagination, and you know, fill in the gaps yourself. And I'm I'm thinking now of Inkalamba's place, Inkalamu's place. I don't know if you remember that 1965, and that was of I think it was a UN worker, a white gentleman who went and settled in an area, only took in black concubines, married only black women, and so on. And um, one would have argued at that time he he was so fond of black people that's who he found attractive, but only to find that when he when he died he didn't leave them anything he he sold off the land that they they were living on and so on so this contestation around what exactly was going on there and she just left us with an ending for us to fill in the gaps for ourselves. Well, in her last novel, No Time Like the Present, yeah. Um, you have the same device at work, in yeah. effect. You have all these uh, these bright young professionals trying to figure out whether they want to stay the course because of the violence or stay the course because of the impact of uh, broad-based black empowerment, what's, what's good, right, and proper for their children going forward, uh, opportunity elsewhere, and... It's, there's no real resolution. You don't know who's staying, who's going, who's doing what, yeah. and why. It's just, it sets out the problems and says, well, you know, <laughs> looking forward, this is where you have to think about it. Yeah. I mean, she she was interesting in the sense that, you know, people talk of how when she did lecture, when she did come in and, and visit, um, you know, you spoke of how she would look you in the eye and kind of make that judgment call about are you even worth discussing anything with type thing. People talk of how when she sat, everybody had to sit upright because her posture was so perfect and so on. So she was this meticulous, really well-groomed woman. Um, but he, she also didn't think you could teach writing and I thought that was interesting. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last sentence. She, 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 she didn't think you could teach anybody to write. I, I'm told that she would say, you know, I'm here, but I, it's absurd. I don't think I can teach anybody to write. You just either have it or you don't. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think she, I think she taught people to write by virtue of what she'd written. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, in my own life, trying to write, uh, I, I don't attempt fiction, yes. uh, and I certainly don't <laughs> uh, do plays because yes. I can't write dialogue to save my life. Yes. 
but uh, the, the observational quality that she brought mm. to a story or a theme, especially the ones where she's going to some place that's different than she's familiar with, those, mm. those stories that take place in uh, Central Africa, mm. for example. Uh, the, the quality of the observation that she brought to bear always uh, intrigued me and was sort of a goad in the back saying, you can do better than you've just done there, fella. And then there's a very early, well, not very, very early, but a, a sort of early in her career work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually a collaboration with uh, the photographer David Goldblatt mm-hmm. on the mines. Yes. That is, uh, it, to, to my mind, and I think to lots of critics, uh, it's one of the two great, beautifully fused essay stroke photographic essay works that had been done uh, by by a team. Um, in this case, uh, they most of the photographs are about the small mining towns mm-hmm. and down in the mines, and the essay weaves around all those different stories. And the only comparable one really is uh, is, is the book that came out in the United States. Uh, in the 1930s about uh, the the effect of the Great Depression on rural life. Uh, now let us in praise of famous men by uh, Walker Evans and James Agee. Uh, and it, it gets compared to that in for very much the same kind of reason because the photographs and the storyline are so precisely fused together without speaking specifically about this image in this photograph or that photograph and so forth. Uh, but let me go back to that the black interpreter's yes. uh, uh, long essay for a moment. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the first books that I saw when I first got here yeah. about the contemporary condition of South African writing, and it was one of the things that that forced me to go out and meet um, such writers mm. and get to understand what they were writing and why and how. Uh, and so uh, I, I feel like. Uh, in many ways, uh, Gordimer's works have been sort of a a, a, nar- a a narration running through the movie of my experiences in this country. Really, really wonderful talking to you, Brooks Spector. Thanks so much for your time and looking into the it's, life of Nadine Gordimer. Thanks, thanks, Brooks. It was lovely. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I look forward. I'm very pleased to have done it. Thanks very much, Brooks Spector, Associate Editor at The Daily Maverick. That will be available as a podcast. It's now 2.30. Let's get the very latest in headlines with Udzile Saku.